I'm back after a quick uh, vacation to Mexico. We had a wonderful wedding for one of my cousins. And thank you to Brother Ron, who filled in the pulpit. So appreciate that, Brother. As we continue in the exposition of the Book of Romans, so I was praying and thinking this past week, there's uh, two specific things that come to mind when we exposit God's word verse by verse, and we are 100% reliant on learning from God's word. One of them is this. A lot of times when we go into the into the realm of Christianity, a lot of people will look for a church in which there are bells and whistles, in which there are signs and wonders, in which there are experiences, and that they're going to have some sort of emotional experience. Now, is that wrong? Not necessarily. But let us be reminded that in the Bible, there are multiple recorded instances, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, where false teachers and false prophets produced signs and wonders. So let us be reminded to go back to Scripture. There's nothing wrong with experience. However, solid biblical teaching must precede any experience, and that experience is going to align to Scripture. The second thought I had this past two weeks is just in, in observing my, my own family, my own kids, the kids of our extended family and, and even just in general, and is this, as we raise our families, especially fathers teaching, raising our kids, teaching is that we must have a mind to build resiliency within our families, within our kids. A simple test of that is how do we react and how do our kids react when we are told, when we are told no, we cannot do that or you're not going to have that. That is a very simple test for us, first us, if something is not given to us or to our kids. Because our life is going to be a constant battle of not obtaining what we want in an immediate basis. And again, we go back to scripture. Scripture teaches us to deny self. Scripture teaches us to observe what the Lord has commanded us. That's how we build resiliency. That's how we build a tight, solid, biblical family unit by abiding by what? By God's word. And God's word, more often than not, is going to restrict and negate our instant gratification desires which go both for us and for our children so let us be encouraged that the scripture has has given us answers to those immediate and daily wants that we feel an urge to go after okay so be encouraged that we are expositing god's word if you are able please turn to romans chapter 14 starting in verse 5 We're going to read verses 5 through 9. The word of God, with absolute authority and without error, reads as follows. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. 
while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your scriptures this morning, let us be reminded that we are not to live to ourselves, but to you. That we are not owners of our life, but we are slaves to Christ. May your Holy Spirit bring these convictions to us as we speak about Christian liberties in observing days, feasts, holidays, partaking, abstaining, etc. And that we would look to our true rest, which is Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You could be seated. All right, so I've titled today's sermon similar to the last sermon I preached two weeks ago, <clears throat> to observe or not to observe. This again is in relation to the freedom of the conscience of believers. In chapter 14, just to do a quick recap, the Apostle Paul is addressing certain aspects of the Christian faith that could be considered controversial to the audience there. Primarily, focused on two main groups, the Jewish believers that had a, obviously an Orthodox Old Testament uh, Jewish background, and to the Gentiles who had a background of living in, in a pagan culture. When Jewish folks are raised with the loss of the Old Testament, they specifically had restrictions of what they could eat, what they could not eat, this was addressed in the sermon a couple of weeks ago. While the background of the Gentile Christians, coming from a pagan culture, we spoke about how there was often meat offered to idols to which some of them might have been a stumbling block because they had a conscience that they cannot eat that, whereas others wouldn't be stumbled at all. Today, we're addressing the second aspect of the freedoms that those Christians in the Church of Rome would have. And this is regarding, regarding certain days and certain feasts. In other words, should the Jewish believers determine and establish hard lines not to cross when it comes to those certain ceremonial issues, to those feasts that they observed in the Old Testament? As we did with how they were to either partake or abstain from certain foods. In this context of whether to partake or observe or, or not observe certain days and feasts, we can also extract a general principle on the issues of whether we, in our modern context, should observe certain feasts or not. But a main focus of today's sermon will emphasize in one aspect of should we value in our modern context now, given scripture and given 
the early church? Should we honor one day above another when we're talking about our weekdays? Okay. Inevitably, you see where I'm going? In other words, is the Sabbath optional? Is the Christian Sabbath, as we are gathered here today, something that we could do any day of the week or just do it all? Is that part of a optional conviction that the Apostle Paul would be referring to in this passage and in other passages? There's some that would say this passage, and specifically verse 5, tells us that yes, some value one day above another, others value all day the same. Therefore, let each one be convinced in their own mind of whether they will observe the Lord's day or not on the first day of the week or in any day that they feel like it. And if we are to do, they, they say, then who are you, who am I to pass judgment on such Christians? So that's going to be the main focus, at least in this, on the first point. Paul's main point here that we're going to extract is do not pass judgment on your brothers regarding celebrations, observances, holidays. And my premise here is going to be that, however, not passing judgment on the feasts, the days that we regard as some days higher than another. My premise here is that that does not include, does not include an option to honor the Sabbath as holy for us Christians. So my goal then will be that while we understand there were different convictions within the Church of Rome regarding food, regarding observance of certain days, Paul here is not referring and is not including the observance of the Lord's Day as a matter of conviction in which different Christians are free to differ. So then, how are we going to look at this passage then? We're going to divide it, as we often do, into three headers of what our attitude should be in these matters. First, we're going to take a look at what does it mean to have convictions about different days, esteeming some days above others. What does that mean in the context in which is given to us? And how does that apply today to us? And does it or does it not apply to the Lord's Day, that is the Christian Sabbath, being an option for us? Secondly, we're going to take a look at how our convictions need and must be in submission to the Lordship of Christ because Christ is Lord of all. And then thirdly, we're going to take a look at how our ultimate rest, our ultimate Sabbath is found only in Christ. All right, so first header, the convictions of partaking or ignoring certain days feasts, etc. Verse 5 reads as follows. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What days is Paul referring to in this verse? The context here is, again, that as he began in chapter 14, some believers are designated as weak believers. Others are designated as strong believers. We've been told thus far that the weaker brethren in the faith 
only eat vegetables. That could be both Jews or Gentiles, right? Remember, this, the both sens sensibilities could apply to either Jews or Gentiles. While we were told the stronger believers eat anything, not stumbled by meat that was potentially offered to idols. Or by eating lobster of, or shrimp, right? So those are considered the uh, stronger believers, right? Thank you very much. In any case, the next implication there is the weaker believers observe certain days above other days. Okay, that's following the context, the flow of, of the letter here. So what are those days? Well, the Jewish folks indeed esteem some days above others even by way of Old Testament commands. For instance, the days of unleavened bread, Passover, they're seen definitely higher than other days. The Feast of Tabernacles, the day of Pentecost, and even honoring one day in the month above others, like the first day of the month or new moon. Or what about Rosh Hashanah? the Jewish New Year, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and many others. Is the Jewish person that has been redeemed and saved by Christ still bound to observe the days that were appointed in the Old Testament? By and large, Paul is saying no. They're not bound to those any longer. But Paul is implying here, let him, if he wishes to, if this is the sensibility that the Jewish believer has, let him observe those days. Now, Paul has even gone farther and said in earlier verses, and is going to re reiterate it in, in, in verses afterwards, that if someone has this convictions, in this case, as a Jewish weaker believer will be designated, do not despise him for having those convictions or observing certain days above others. Because Paul's reasoning is Christ has welcomed him. That person is one that God loves and has accepted him. And therefore, if the highest authority being God Almighty, if he has been accepted, who are we to then despise him for having those convictions? Okay. The clarification we made two weeks ago, and even the week before that, is the following. This does not mean that the person that has that conviction of observing those days or of eating or not eating will then have the right to evangelize the church so that the church would now convert to their view. That is not what it's talking about here. Okay? Be it SMA. The freedom that these new Christians have, the question for us today is, does that include the Sabbath day? Is that also an option? In other words, does this mean that for our practical application, that observing the Lord's day is also a matter of personal conviction? In other words, I can say, you know, it's good for you if you want to observe the Lord's day and congregate. But I don't have to. I have that freedom in the Lord. Can somebody have that attitude in the long run and still be in obedience 
to God's word? I would say no. And I'm going to show you why. Now, those that would say that the Lord's Day as the Christian Sabbath is optional and will congregate if I get the time to or if it's convenient or if I don't have something else going on, have used this verse and even referenced a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 2 to say we cannot be dogmatic about saying that the Christian is obligated to congregate on the Lord's day, to honor the Lord's day as holy. Let us take a quick look at the other reference verse there in Colossians 2.16. It says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regards to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Aha! It's a close deal. Let's go home. Well, not so fast. In that passage in which Colossians 2.16 is, is mentioned, and it, it's very similar, right, about food or drink, just as Romans 14, with regards to festivals or a new moon, which talks about honoring one day above another. And then it asks there also for the Sabbath. Well, here the Sabbath is in plural form. It is being mentioned as an annual cycle of worship, not the weekly Sabbath. In this case, it is used when scripture talks about a new moon, which could be a monthly Sabbath, or even bi-monthly, every two months, or even annual, once a year, lunar cycles. This is not referring to the Sabbath that is a matter of established creation order, which God mentions in Genesis. And this is certainly not referring to the renewed Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, when by the nature of Christ's resurrection became the first day of the week. More on that in a second. So Sabbaths, when it's used in plural, in the Jewish cultural sense, is referenced in plural form also in the Old Testament. Such as when David was giving orders to the Levites, the priests, on how they were required to take order and take care of business in the house of the Lord. I'll quote one verse from 1 Chronicles 23.31. It says this, and whenever burnt offerings were offered to the Lord on Sabbaths, new moons, and feast days, according to the number required of them, regularly before the Lord. So there again, that's the context. It's Sabbaths, plural. How can we be sure then that the freedom to observe one day above another does not refer to the Lord's day as being an option for the Christian? Well, first, because it is part of the Ten Commandments. It tells us to observe the Sabbath, to keep it holy. And, as we can see it plainly established by the apostles as they instituted the Lord's Day, because of the nature of the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. The early church, as we see in the book of Acts, they observed the Lord's day 
Acts 20, verse 7 says the following. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. When was the church gathered? When were they breaking bread in communion together? It tells us here on the first day of the week. It involved preaching. Paul was preaching until midnight. Don't worry, I'm not going to go until midnight. But again, that's the idea. When did they gather? On the first day of the week. What were they doing? They were communion with each other. They were breaking bread together. And there was a sermon. This speaks of the church being assembled. The other reference, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, it says this. On the first day of every week. Okay, so now he's not just talking, oh, it could have been like a one-off. That's just when they could meet. No. Here, now we're seeing on the first day of every week. Now this is a recurring, a recurring day. It says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul is getting ready to visit the, the church of Corinth. And it is established here that they are meeting when? On the first day of the week. Okay, this is not random. Now, how do we know then that this is not an option for the Christian and that that's not what Paul is talking about in Colossians 2 and Romans 14? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I exhort all of you, brothers and sisters, to know this passage by heart. It says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we do that? Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so further then, why is it that Christians should gather together on the Lord's Day, that is the first day of the week, Sunday, and not on Saturday, right? If we believe that it should be on an actual Saturday, then we would be people of the Sabbath, like our friends from Seventh Day, right? But no, it's on the first day. Why? Well, we just saw they were meeting the first day. Now, why were they meeting the first day? We do it on Sunday because that is the day in which Jesus rose from the dead. Mark 16, verses 1, 2, and 6. It reads as follows. And I've put some emphasis on there. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, okay, the Sabbath already gone. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Talking about they were going to the tomb where Jesus was laid. Verse 2, and very early, when? On the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So now we're in the first day of the week. Verse 6, what happened in the first day of the week? And he said to them, that's an angel that was there at the scene of, of the resurrection. It says, he told them, do not be alarmed. You seek, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he has risen. He's not here. 
See the place where they laid him. Okay. So we see that the early church was meeting on the first day. Why were they meeting on the first day? Because that's the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead on the first day. We see that it was a recurring meeting, as we saw from 1 Corinthians. And we see that the book of Hebrews tells us not to, fors not to forsake that assembly of the brethren. Now, was there room in the convictions of early Jewish Christians and whether they should observe Jewish days and feasts? Absolutely. And that is what Paul is explaining there. Now, is there room for us on what days of the year, month, and week we may observe as higher than others? Sure. Yes. However, my brothers and sisters, this Christian freedom does not apply to the commandment to honor the Sabbath as holy. That is to gather for worship, to dedicate this day of rest to the Lord, and to be reminded that this life is not about all labor and toil, but to live for God's glory and to submit to his lordship. One thing that I constantly do within my, house, my household and my kids I asked them over and over, which is the most important day of the week? And my goal is to get their little minds to understand that it is not Friday because now is the weekend. No, it is Sunday because that is the day in which the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Now, it says, let each person be convinced in his own mind. Okay, this is referring to now about establishing a personal conviction of our lifestyles as Christians, okay? That does not mean that we get a, a pass in order to go and sin, and I'm going to call that, that's my Christian liberty. That's not what it means. And it's also now referring to moral relativism. I'm going to be convinced in my own sinful mind that doing something sinful is within my liberty. That is not what it means. Moral relativism, that is, okay, that's good for you, but it's not good for me. And the like is self-contradictory. It is not biblical. It refutes itself. Rather, we are referring to differences of conviction when it comes to non-essential matters in the life of the Christian, given that each person will have different backgrounds, different traditions, different measures of maturity, at any given time. So we should keep in mind that my brother, my sister are going to have a different background than I do, a different culture than I do. But we are still under the Lordship of Christ in the essentials. Just to be upfront here, I did not always hold this position. This is something that the Lord made me see in scripture. And I think that's part of, of God really maturing my convictions. The second header. How is it that the convictions we have should be in submission to the Lordship of Christ? Let us read verses six to eight. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. 
since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So then, whether a conviction of the weak brother or a conviction of the stronger brother are observed, the motive that each of us should have should unite. And that is, we should have an attitude of thanksgiving in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Each of us, whether you are the strong brother or the weak brother. For the weak brother, if he will abstain from certain foods, if he will observe previously held convictions that are not sinful, in this specific case, honoring some days above another for the Jewish brothers, then let him. For the stronger brother, if he will not abstain from certain foods, if all days are the same, again, not including the Lord's day, and he has no particular interest in observing days, feasts, holidays. Let it be. Now, here is a trap. Because what is our natural inclination? If I consider myself the stronger brother or the weaker brother, whatever it may be. The tendency is this. Well, obviously, I'm holier than my brother because I execute my convictions in this way. And I'm not the only one who has fallen in this trap, my brothers and sisters. All of us have. Is it not true that at some point we've looked to our fellow brother and sister and thought, why can't they just live like I do? Why can't they just have the same convictions that I do? Why can't they just eat what I eat? Or why do they have to go and watch movies? Right? Let me start putting all these rules of why everybody else should live the same way I do. Right? I certainly have fallen in the trap. Yeah. So if you observe a day, if you abstain from foods, do it. But do it genuinely. So that your conscience is clean and so that you honor God in doing so. On the other hand, if you do not abstain from certain foods, if any other day to you is no big deal, then praise God. But do that and have that attitude with a thankful heart that in your conscience you're living in such a way to please God. If we do this for any self-righteous reason, we are in sin. Paul says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. This speaks of the total lordship of Christ in every facet of our lives. Whether we watch something, we don't watch it. Whether we eat, don't eat. Whether we observe a day, whether we don't observe the day. Whether we listen to something, we don't listen to something. We are to live every area of our lives having in mind that we are slaves to Christ. God in Christ is the Lord of the living and the dead. Christ is not only Savior, 
but he is also Lord. Oftentimes, in many Christian circles, it is emphasized that Christ is Savior, that he is the friend of sinners, and even that he is God. And all those things are true. And they are necessary to believe and understand. For instance, Titus 2.13, it says, Waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, the deity of Christ right there. Yes, Jesus is God and Savior. Yes, he is a friend of sinners. Absolutely. Now, this great God and Savior is also Lord over his creation. And therefore, any convictions that we have as believers, as children of God, must submit to the Lordship of Christ. If our convictions are submitted to the Lordship of Christ, our convictions cannot be sinful. And if they are, then we are abusing what we think is our liberty in order to sin. Because Jesus is not only God, not only Savior, not only a friend of sinners, but he is also Lord. Acts 10.36 says this. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Not of some, he is Lord of all. And then going back to Romans 10, verse 12, it says this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So there is not one single area of my life, of your life, that we can separate for us to Lord over And keep Christ out of that facet of our lives. Out of that conviction of our lives. Jesus is, Jesus is both Savior and Lord. A Christian cannot have only Christ as Savior. Like, I have liability insurance. I still go and do whatever I want. But, hey, I prayed that one prayer. Or I, I congregate on the Lord's Day. I got liability insurance. Whatever happens. No, you don't. You cannot have Christ as Savior in no submission to his Lordship with a life that is enslaved to sin, with a life that has a godless character, with a life that has no conviction over your sin. And yet, that gives us this puffed up attitude that I'm actually holier than my brother and my sister. No, my brothers and sisters. May it not be. As we mature in our walk, we are called to grow in faith, to grow and become more and more to the likeness of Christ. We can only serve one master. We are either a slave to Christ, that is Jesus is our master, or we are slaves to sin in our flesh and Satan is our master. Abraham Kuyper said this, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Christ is Lord over all. Now, with that in mind, let us ask ourselves this. How are we doing, how are you doing in that area of your life 
that you still are being your own little Lord over. Your sinful emotions, your, your anger, your sinful habits, promiscuity, whatever it may be. How's it going for you in that area of your life that you think you're, you're being your own little Lord over? The truth is that each area that each of us have that we're trying to keep Christ's Lordship away from, we are miserably in sin and in failure and in disobedience. If we refuse to submit to the Lordship of Christ, at best, it's a weakness and an immaturity that we have. And may we grow so that we can have Christ be Lord over that and renew us and cleanse us. Well, brothers and sisters, at worst, we're fooling ourselves. and We're actually not under the dominion and the lordship of Christ. And that is dangerous ground to be under. So then, the entirety of our convictions, when it comes to the lifestyle we live, it's not a path to sin. And those convictions must be in submission to Christ as our Lord. All right. The third and final header. Christ is our ultimate rest. Verse 9 reads as follows. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So when Paul says here, to this end, what end? That Christ is Lord, that we are to submit to him as our master in all of our convictions, whether we are the weak brother or whether we are the strong brother. And remember this. If you think you are actually the weak brother or the weak sister to somebody else, you are actually the weak brother. So let's humble ourselves before we are humiliated. So to that end, that Christ is Lord. Jesus died for both the weak brother and the strong brother. We are not to boast then because we abstain or because we observe or because we don't observe. Instead, we are to look to Christ as the one who, who sustains us, as the one who strengthens us. Because he is the Lord of the weak and the strong. He is the Lord of the living and the dead. So who is Lord over all that is commanded by God. I submit to you that Christ is Lord over all, as we saw. And Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's one of the reasons why the Pharisees, the Jewish folks, hated Jesus so much. Because he said such things such as here in Mark 2, verses 27 28. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is borderline blasphemy for a Jewish ear. So then, if Jesus is Lord of all, including Lord of the Sabbath, which is in action right now in our own culture, especially as Christians, the rest we seek, the rest that we need, the rest that our soul longs for is to be found 
in the rest that only Jesus can give us. And our gathering as the children of God, the observance of the Lord's day, is a starting place, a great place to be. And get this, it should not be a burden. Because this day was made for us. This day was made for us to rest, not the other way around. And in that, we are to find then our rest in Christ. Because he died, and it tells us, and he rose from the dead. But brothers and sisters, the significance of the physical resurrection keeps coming up over and over and over in all of our texts. Inevitably, we keep being reminded of the biggest obstacle in our human life, sin and death. We are sinners. We live in a fallen world. The wages of sin is death. Death hurts. Spiritually, physically, emotionally. For instance, the death of a loved one. It stings. The Bible describes it as having pangs that grab you and hurt you and wound you so deeply that it often makes us feel as in despair. But once again, the comfort for the Christian are the words of Scripture when we are told that because Christ died and rose from the dead, we too have hope. For eternal life. Our hope then is that. For the Christian. When the last breath approaches. As Spurgeon once noted. The whisper of Christ. To every dying Christian. Are the sweet words. Today you will be with me. In paradise. Our ultimate rest. Is in Christ. It is Christ that makes us lie down. In green pastures. As Psalm 23 says. It is Christ that, as Jeremiah chapter 6 describes, is where we find rest for our soul. It is in Christ that also the psalmist says, is the one who grants us sleep, that is, rest. And let us be reminded that as we seek, as we long for that rest, there remains a Sabbath rest. The ultimate rest for God's people, which is in Christ. Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 11, reads as follows. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Our ultimate rest is in Christ. Christ is Lord over all including Lord over the highest day that we should observe, which is a Lord's day. So what are then some final thoughts about today's sermon? First, let us be reminded that when we talk about Christian liberties, those liberties are not a get out of jail free card for us to sin for us. To have a flawed way of thinking about scripture, about the way that we live. No, it's not that. Our convictions that are in relation to the essentials of the Christian faith are freedoms that we have. But those freedoms, if they are truly Christian freedoms, are never going to be used for us to sin. 
Secondly, a question for us today is, a question for you, are you living for yourself? Are you living to yourself and not for Christ? The time to submit every area of our lives to the Lordship of Christ is now. Now. Starting by repenting of sin, generally speaking, and trusting in Christ for salvation. But also for the believer to let go of those areas in which we are still trying to keep lordship over. Because if Christ comes, if the light comes in, our sin will be exposed. The time to stop living for ourselves is now. And for us to submit every area of our lives to the Lordship of Christ. And then lastly, let us be comforted by knowing that we can enter the rest that is offered through Christ. That feeling of despair that we may be Encountering that feeling of hurt, of desperation, anxiety, what have you. It reminds us of one thing. We need peace. We need rest. And the only place to find that rest is in Christ. Because he is Lord of all. And you may say, okay, so how can I find that rest? I'll quote you the words of Jesus here. Which says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is Jesus speaking to each one of us in our daily struggles, in our daily repentance, in our effort to find peace and comfort elsewhere. Jesus calls us to himself, telling us that he and he alone will give us the rest that we so fervently seek. May we do that today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, Lord, burdened and heavy laden, let us be reminded that coming to you, that observing the Lord's day, that acknowledging your lordship over every area of our lives should not be burdensome but should be a joyful experience of thanksgiving, of worship unto you, for you are Lord of all. May your Holy Spirit grant us the repentance that we need to trust in Christ and to go to Christ for the rest that our souls desperately need. As we do so, let us Encourage each other. Let us stir each other up to good works, as the scripture says in Hebrews, so that we may indeed bear each other burdens, so that we may indeed laugh with those who laugh and weep with those who weep, so that we may indeed show the world that we are Christ's disciples by the way in which we love each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.